Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Empowered Living, the Resources of the Church, with a message entitled, No Longer Strangers. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Every one of us knows what it means to be a stranger. It's uncomfortable to be a stranger. It's alienating to be a stranger. It can even be frightening to be a stranger. The need to belong, the need to be part of someone or something, that's a universal human need. God has created us with an intense desire for relationships. If you've ever been invited to a social gathering and found you knew no one there, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone seems to find someone to interact with. They have a personal history to catch up on. They form into closed circles indicating you're not invited in, and they're excitingly talking about what they have in common, and you're left standing by yourself. You go and get a coffee or a drink trying to look busy, but eventually you stand there just fidgeting. No one cares, and you find yourself wondering what to do with yourself, and you ask yourself why you came. See, that experience can be extremely painful. Every one of us remembers kids who were loners in grade school. Perhaps you were a loner. Perhaps you can remember times when you had no friends, when going to school every morning took all the courage you could muster, how you dreaded what would come every day, and because you stood by yourself, you remember that you were easy prey for teasing and jokes and cruel childhood pranks. See, those kinds of experience can mark us for a lifetime. Being a stranger is risky business. Imagine, if you will, how uncomfortable it is to be a stranger in your church on a Sunday morning. Everyone is greeting someone in the foyer, but the stranger only looks on. He or she is feeling very out of sorts. Those on the inside of all the friendship networks are hugging people and they marvel how friendly their church is. And those on the outside feel the access points to easy acceptance are never open to them. Eventually, they don't come back and it seems no one's even noticed. How do you know that's not happening in your church? Well, just ask yourself how many times you interact with people you've never met. Do you ask their names and how long they've been here? Are they new? Do they have a small group? Can you join them for a coffee? See, if you're not doing that, well, you shouldn't think anyone else is either. You might have all the friends in the world and think your church is friendly. It's not. I've entitled my message, No Longer Strangers, and we're studying the book of Ephesians, and today I'm going to be examining Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. And if you have your Bible in front of you, you're going to notice that this short paragraph begins with the words, so then. Other translations use the word, consequently. We've just been told that is prior to this passage that Christ has broken down every dividing wall of hostility between people, that is, between people groups, every barrier that keeps people apart. In the early church, this meant the barrier between Jews and Gentiles had been broken down. When Jesus died on the cross, it no longer was necessary to sacrifice sheep and goats in the temple because his own death on the cross was the perfect and final sacrifice. All those sacrifices in the temple were only a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that resulted in the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And now that the reality has come, the shadow is no longer necessary. But not only did Jesus' death do away with the temple ritual, the sacrificial system, but his death also did away with the need for all external rituals that spoke of inner purity. If you have repented of your sins, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you're forgiven, 
and you received an inner purity by faith, being washed by the blood of Jesus. All the First Testament ceremonial laws are no longer necessary. By abolishing the First Testament ceremonial laws, like the need for circumcision and performing acts of ritual cleansing, and eating kosher foods and wearing specialized clothing, by doing away with that, Jesus made it possible for Jews and Gentiles to belong to the same church. And since that's true, Christ wants the church to be an international gathering. It's the new community of God in which all cultural barriers are broken down in the cross. A new race of people or a new humanity has emerged. But that has to become actualized or experienced. Christ also wants the church to be a place of belonging and of relationship and love and of service, of together learning what it means to be obedient to Christ. But, and hear me, but, all this means very little if we're strangers to each other. In order for us to live out the implications of the truth that Christ has broken down every barrier between people and brought us together into one body, Christian people must become friends, truly friends. In order to explain that, Paul now uses three metaphors, each describing how in the church we can no longer remain strangers. First, the church is like a new nation. Ephesians 2.19a says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Some of you are listening to my voice right now are foreigners to Canada. You remember immigrating. So you understand the metaphor. You remember how it felt when you came. Some of you came as refugees fleeing persecution. Some of you came not being able to speak the English language, and some of you began to wonder about our strange customs and foods, and you may have even wondered why we eat hamburgers and french fries, knowing it causes us to gain weight and makes us drop dead of heart attacks. Well, the answer to the last question is, none of us has a clue why we eat hamburgers and french fries in this country. Not everything in a culture makes sense, and yeah, that food is killing us, so don't be stupid like us, don't eat that stuff. But when Paul uses the words foreigners and aliens, he means two different types of people. See, the first group, the foreigners, were those who were short-term transients. They were there for a given reason, stayed until their business was done, then they moved back home. And the second group, the aliens, were long-term residents who were, however, forbidden by law from owning land and had only the most superficial rights as citizens. There are people like that in church every Sunday. You know, they come to church, they're not a part of the church, they're simply moving through. They stay until something or someone disappoints them, then they're gone. They're foreigners, and others have settled in, but they never join. They're like a people who are landed immigrant status, but who never want to become a part of the country. But this is vital. God wants us to be full citizens of his kingdom. The people of God are not to be foreigners and transients. Listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you notice all those metaphors? A chosen race refers to Israel's nationhood status. A royal priesthood refers to those people who offered sacrifices before God, ensuring that God's people were accepted before the holy God. And then comes the title, a holy nation. If that's what God has made us to be, We've got to live out that reality. See, there's only one Christian country in the world. That country is the Church of Jesus Christ. We, the citizens of that country, belong to each other. I've said it before and will say it again. I have more in common with a Christian living in China whose language and customs I don't understand. I have more in common with him 
than I do with a fellow Canadian that doesn't know Christ. I'm a fellow citizen of a new country. I have citizenship with a new group of people. Years ago, Kathy and I were living in Southern California, and both of us had green cards, which stated on the top in large letters, resident alien. See, I remember being in a mall one day, passing a woman with a booth with a large U.S. flag on it. And she said, young man, are you registered to vote? I had to tell her I couldn't vote. I was forbidden from exercising that right because I was an alien. (laughs) That's not true in God's economy. In Christ, I belong to a new nation. And now then, what's the implication of all of this? Did you know that God himself guarantees that all of his elect have the full rights of our new nation citizenship? Each one of us have been made citizens. See, these rights were found in the first chapter of Ephesians. You might remember Ephesians 1, 3 to 10 tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God predestined our adoption into his family. We've been freed from slavery to sin. We're forgiven. God lavished his grace upon us. Those are the full rights of citizenship, the full rights of the new nation, and we are the church. Now, we don't have a passport or a green card, but we do have a birth certificate. We've been given a new birth when we received Christ, and we were a part of that new nation, and the birth certificate was publicly sealed when we were baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul says, you can't be strangers to one another anymore. And why is that? Because the church of Jesus Christ is a new nation of which we, who have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, we are the citizens of this nation. And that thought, my brother and sister, if you're in Christ, that's a profound thought indeed. Whether on radio, online, in print, podcast, or YouTube, God continues to use this ministry to guide people back to the Bible and to encourage and equip them to search more deeply into Scripture. One listener wrote to say, God used your radio ministry to lead me to saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God, still learning and growing daily. Another wrote, I have just recently found Jesus and I'm grateful to be able to listen to your program while I'm at work. I have learned so much and you help bring me closer to God. You know, we recognize that this ministry could not be sustained without like-hearted, like-minded partners in mission right across Canada. Thank you for your prayers and support. And if you'd like to know more or make a gift toward our fiscal year-end campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I began by saying that the church is a new nation of which we, that is, all of the elect, are citizens. But Paul's still not done. Secondly, he also says that the church is like a family. Let's go back to Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, the term household was always a family image in the New Testament world. An ancient household might include slaves and business associates, and even clients who may have been connected to the household business, 
but the members of the household were the family. They were the children. You know, the Bible constantly uses the image of family. The church, we're told, is the family of God. We learn to call one another brother and sister. In Christ, we have a familial relationship. Since we've been adopted into God's family, since we call our common God our Heavenly Father, we are His family. And this is key. God wants us to be family members and not guests. You know, we have guests in our home from time to time, and when they come, we normally act just a little differently than we usually do. I don't lie down on the couch and go to sleep when we have guests. But our guests also act differently. I mean, they don't chip in and buy the meal. They don't set the table. They don't clean up and do other necessary chores around the house. They just show up. They enjoy time with us. They eat our food, and then they take off because they're guests. They're not family members. Same thing in church. Members of the household know that we all have to chip in together to make this thing work. We have to help with the kitchen, with the greeting, with the ushering, with the Bible studies. We have to help with Sunday school and youth ministries and so forth. It's what family does. We pull together. We all have a ministry. And in the church, that ministry is directly related to the gifts that our Father, through His Holy Spirit, has given to us. And quite practically speaking, if you're feeling a stranger in your local church, here's my piece of advice. Get involved. Volunteer. Ask someone, what are the needs around here? I want to be involved. I mean, tell your pastor or a church leader, and when he gets up off the floor after just having fainted, you'll be amazed at how quickly you're going to stop from being a stranger. Now, the beautiful thing about the family is whom it includes. In the New Testament, all followers of Jesus are united with all other genuine followers of Jesus, both the living and the dead. You see, one day the family of believers will all be united before the Father's throne. What a day that's going to be. The church is the only family that goes on forever. So this family isn't a normal family. This nation is not a normal nation. When Paul wants to reach a climax to describe the church in which Christ has pulled down every single barrier that was ever erected between people, well, then he gives us a third metaphor. Remember the first two. First, we're a new nation. Second, we're a new family. And now third, we're a temple. Look at Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, the Old Testament tells us that the temple had stood in Jerusalem for almost a thousand years and had been a focal point of Israel's identity as a people. It was a place for worship. It was a place to meet with God, to pray, to have sins forgiven. It was a place that held the entire nation of Israel together. Every people need a place for worship. But there had, in fact, been three temples, not one. The first one was built by King Solomon, and he began to build it in 967 B.C. It was a magnificent structure. It not only called Israel to worship, it was also a treasure house for the wealth of Israel. So it became a target for invading armies who constantly looted it and carried away its treasure. At times, the temple became a symbol for national shame. It stood for some 380 years until it was finally burned to the ground by the Babylonian army in the year 586 B.C. The second temple, of which we know very little, was built by Jewish exiles returning from Jerusalem in the year 537 B.C. It lasted for some 500 years, and finally, a third temple, a temple which was still called the Second Temple, well, it was built by King Herod the Great in 19 B.C. 
This was the temple that stood during the time of Jesus and the majority of the writing of the New Testament. They were constantly building on it, and it was never fully finished. The Roman army destroyed it in the year AD 70, and that's the problem with earthly structures. They deeply impress us, but they're all vulnerable and temporary. But there is a temple that will never fall. There is a temple, a center of worship and faithfulness that will never be defeated by its enemies, a temple that's going to stand for eternity. This temple is the church, made up not of bricks and mortar, but a temple made up of people. Now, in order to push the image of this metaphor further, Paul tells us this temple is made up of three elements, a foundation, cornerstone, and building blocks. The foundation of the temple, we're told, are the apostles and the prophets. So what does that mean? The way in which that's worded, and then in chapter 3, tells us that the prophets are not the Old Testament prophets, but rather the New Testament prophets. But let us not get confused here. This text does not tell us that the foundation of the church rests upon people with apostolic and prophetic gifts. For instance, they're all matter of cultic organizations that teach that unless you have a living prophet in your church, you're not an authentic church. I once had a young man in my house who belonged to a cult. I patiently showed him that the Bible contradicted what he believed, and his answer to me was simple. I'd rather have a living prophet than a dead one. In other words, I don't care what the Bible says. Whatever my prophet says is more important to me. See, every once in a while, Christians get caught in the same kind of an error. They hear that prophecy is for today, and that God really does speak through people, so they abandon a careful study of Scripture. Let's look again at our passage. Remember that Paul is telling us that the temple is still being built, but the entire structure rests upon a foundation that has already been laid. If you've ever been a part of a building project, you'll notice that you don't lay a foundation halfway through the building project. The foundation is laid first, and then whatever follows gets laid on top of the foundation. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself chose his apostles. Each of them, including the apostle Paul, were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They carefully recorded everything Jesus taught and witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection. And then by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, They wrote down not only the events of Jesus' life, but they recorded the implications of what those events meant. That body of teaching was collected, and it makes up the 27 books of our New Testament. That's the foundation of the church. Everything we do rests on that. This foundation is solid, and building upon it gives the structure its strength. Any church that builds upon this will stand. You see, we're not free to make the church anything we want. First of all, it's not our church. It belongs to Jesus. He's our leader and calls the shots. And secondly, because the church is just like a temple, it must rest on a foundation, not simply what we want. The foundation always determines the kind of building that will sit upon it. Our foundation determines who we are and how we behave. That foundation is the Bible, the writing of the apostles and the prophets. Now, says Paul, secondly, our cornerstone is Jesus. You know, Herod's temple had a cornerstone that was 40 feet long. In ancient buildings, the cornerstones anchored the building. The cornerstone determined the stability of the building, and every brick was shaped to interlock with it. 
In essence, what Paul was saying is that the apostles and the prophets didn't make up whatever came into their minds. Their role was to accurately teach what Jesus himself had said. Their message was crafted around Jesus. His teaching was their teaching. And then third, here's the glorious truth. We're all now building on the structure. Our foundation is secure, but we need to make sure that our work is lasting. And each one of us are the bricks, the precious stones that make up the structure. We can't stand apart from the church. We are the church. You know, I began with a word about loneliness and the importance that there would be no strangers among us. Let me ask you the following questions. Are you a foreigner to the church or are you a citizen? Are you a guest or are you a family member? Are you watching others build the building or are you a living stone giving yourself fully to the work of the gospel? Are you building constantly on that building as it becomes and rises up to be a holy temple to the Lord? See, that's your calling in life, to continue to build so that the gospel might be heard in our day. It's important to remember this, lest we think that the church has no meaning. You see, it does. It's God's eternal building that will last forever. It's God's new nation that will never end. It's a family that continues to be a family, and you are to be no stranger to this. Thanks, John, for your message today. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that church is optional for the Christian believer? Well, I, <laughs> I'm going to say no, obviously not, um, for all sorts of reasons. But let's also understand that in the lives of many people, it's become optional. And let me be a bit gentle, because I do know that there are those who've been deeply wounded in a church, and because of that, just can't get themselves to trust a local church again. And, and, and if that's you, um, it is time, it is time for you to let go of the woundedness. It is time for you to hear the Word of God, that He wants you to walk together with others in the fellowship of a local church. So I want to be gentle to those who are like that. But I want to say also that there are perhaps others that are listening to my voice who just simply say, couldn't be bothered. And, uh, you know, here's the Word of God to you. Uh, that is, God created you to be a part of a church. Jesus came and died for the church. And if you don't want to be a part of his body, how is it that you claim to be a part of him? So uh, this is a very strong word, but no, you can't live your life without the people of God. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Empowered Living, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. We're missing you and the opportunities we've had in the past to meet you face to face. So enough is enough. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld, hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. Last September, people from right across Canada attended online in their offices, homes, on their computers, or even their phones. It was so encouraging celebrating our common passion for the Bible and the significance of teaching biblical truths to a new generation. 
More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly ministry email update while you're there. Or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.